and welcome to the Scottish Football Show. Domestic top flight action is on a break. The players are on their holly bags, but we are not. So coming up on today's show, Beal is back, back again. Gio's gone, ends Gerard's friend. That won't stick, but anyway, Darvell and Drum Chapel disrupt the cup. Yep, they've kicked the bookies square in the bollocks this week. And Porto is a no-go with Hibs as Ryan Porteous' time at Easter Road ends when the season does. I am your host, Andrew Slavin, and I'm joined today by my pundits. <laughs> <laughs> West Ham United producer, Laura Brannan, and football filmmaker and editor, Finlay Marks. Hello, folks. How are you? Hello, hello, hello. 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 Oh, my lovely pundits. It makes me think of like, my lovely horse, my lovely horse, uh, from Father Ted. But there you go, my pundits. Uh, how are you guys enjoying the World Cup? Oh, I'm loving it. This is great fun. <laughs> I knew you'd be this in there first, so Laura. Good. I am just like, I'm in my happy place just now. I have four games a day. <laughs> and my days are literally just all day football. You wake up, centred around the 10 o'clock kickoff, and then you get ready for your work and, you know, it's on in the background and you have your lunch and it's on. And it's just like, I don't, I'm like, it's, it's a great distraction from work right now. <laughs> and then when I come home, there's more on at night. And I'm actually quite disappointed that now we're going into the final group stages and yeah. it's going to be two on at a time because it kind of makes me sad. You're kind of going from the big party of four a day to, and how do I, I need to multitask and watch two at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Finn, what's it like in Australia by the time difference? I was actually speaking to a friend about this recently, a, a, a friend who's, who's English, who's lived here for, I think, three, over the course of three World Cups now. And he says, by far, this is the best one in terms of times for kickoffs, because usually it's all just the middle of the night. But it's been good. I mean, so the 10 a.m. game in the UK would be 9 p.m. here. So the games run 9 p.m. midnight, 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. And having uh, a one-year-old, as I do, generally up at six anyway. So the 2 a.m. ones are the trickiest ones. <laughs> I don't think I've seen many of them at all so far. But um, I think in terms of a, a footballing spectacle, I think what is happening is what we'd hope would happen, which is the football kind of drowns out a bit more of the circus that's going on round about it. I think it's important that the conversations don't go away. But in terms of the football itself, even just overnight for me, you know, there were some cracking games. It was like 11 goals in two matches from the, from the kind of games that you, you probably wouldn't have thought were going to be that enjoyable. Mm. Serbia versus Cameroon, I'm sure, wasn't one of the ones that people were circling on their wall chart. But this is the joy of the World Cup. Like You get these different countries coming together from different associations, different places around the world, different ways of playing. And I just, I enjoy the chaotic element of international football and I, I think the world cup is better at it than the euros for example because you know when you have the inter-confederation trophy like the world cup you you've got much more disparity between playing styles and people don't know the full squad or the way that mm-hmm. um, you know a, a team sets up whereas for example the euros most teams 
will know most of the teams, if that makes sense. They'll know roughly who the starting 11 is. They'll know roughly the style of play and who to be wary of. But if you're playing, for example, Argentina find out to their detriment, if you're playing somebody like Saudi Arabia, you're like, I'm not entirely sure what we're going to face here. And, you know, you get these brilliant upsets and that's the joy of the World Cup. I completely agree. I've always found that with the Euros, there's almost a kind of staleness because you kind of know what you're you're getting with it. Um, especially when you get like Scandinavian teams playing Scandinavian teams and, and vice versa, like Eastern European teams against Eastern European. But with the World Cup, you don't know what you're getting. It's a complete mix. And I think this one's especially has been a really nice mix of, yes, there's been low scoring games, but they've been entertaining low scoring games and they've not been boring. Or you get the high scoring games, which is just like teams like Spain running wild against Costa Rica, or you get the actual dramatic three-each games or three-two or whatever, like the comebacks. <laughs> You've had such a nice blend of everything so far. I mean, you go into the, the final group stages, the, the final round of the group stages this week, You find the majority of the groups are so tight. Mm. There's a real excitement coming out of this. Well, I, for one, am looking forward to telling people that I've lived in London for three World Cups. Uh, so that person you spoke to, Finn, who describes his time in Australia and World Cups is fantastic. I like that, <laughs> rather than being in years. Bringing it back to Scotland, uh, Brook and City are certainly enjoying the World Cup, Laura. Who'd have thought, eh? <laughs> so this was the Australia camp. This was at their actual hotel. They had up on their hotel rooms, they had plaques on the door that said each player's name and the first club they ever played for. So on the door when Harry Sutter walks in and he closes his hotel room door, you see it's got Brecon City written on his plaque. I thought that's quite a nice touch. And of course, Brecon are enjoying it. Did you, I don't know if you guys saw, they dug out this old photo. It was from this 2004-05 season. So it's celebrating, obviously, Harry Souter's journey from being at the club as a tiny little boy. Yeah. It's also got John Souter as a tiny little boy. <laughs> but also in the front row, you've got Ryan Gold as an even little tiny little boy. <laughs> he is a baby <laughs> in the front row. And honestly, it's the cutest little thing. They all look in their own way. They all look exactly the same. <laughs> They've just shrunk. It's like <laughs> that Snapchat filter, like the baby the baby face filter. It's nice. It's nice to see like clubs digging out their history like that and still having a relevance in something so big like the World Cup. <laughs> and fair play to Brecon. Well, speaking of holding on to your history, have you not seen uh, Cedric Kipre, the former Motherwell player, becoming a full-time rapper? Laura, you must remember this guy. He's he's uh, he's come out with this um, video, this music video, and he's wearing his uh, 2017 League Cup final top from Motherwell. This was very random. <laughs> but bizarre, but really good production value. Et quand ça chauffe, y en a qui sauve. C'était pour le plaisir à la base. Et plus je les monte, les sommes aussi. Je veux plus que les darons travaillent. Ils pensent tous que footballeur est égal riche. Premier contrat en Angleterre. Je touche beaucoup moins que le SMIC. Yeah, I was quite impressed by it because I thought at first, is he doing this? Is he supporting somebody? Does he have like some famous friend or something? And he's just sort of chipping in. But it's just him. And there's really quite impressive music video <laughs> well, no, is the music not impressive Laura? well, well I'm, I'm not I'm not your biggest rap fan but what is the weirdest thing is he's wearing his Motherwell top from like five seasons ago I love that um, I, it's, it's very niche was there any inkling that this could be a future career path for him when he was at Motherwell did he come into the dressing room spitting bars you know freestyling or doing anything like that when you were there Laura? I actually didn't work with him um, our paths never crossed but there is a very good video of him really appreciating a loaf of bread 
He was a big fan of bread. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Literally, he's like, he's like patting a hovis loaf like it's a dog. I don't really, I wasn't there at the time. I'm going to just blame it on other people. One thing that, I do miss about being in Scotland, I have to admit, to carry on the bread theme is I miss, I miss like Scottish morning rolls. Like they just oh don't do God. rolls in London. Yes. A well-fired yes. morning roll. Oh. Well, do you know what? It's not even just well a well-fired roll. I love a well-fired roll, but just a normal just a normal white roll, not a bap that they, they oh, get yes. down here. Absolutely, Absolute yeah. nonsense. <laughs> just, just dough on dough on dough, and you like see when you squeeze a a, a, a roll in Scotland, it immediately springs back, and it just <laughs> you can chew it, you can tear it. Yeah. Oh, it's just I mean, glorious. Since moving here, I've had to like have bacon rolls uh, in the form of toast. It's just not the same. It's not right, is it? It's, it's just not, not, it's right. not right. I cannot wait to go home for Christmas. Well, hopefully uh, Cedric Kipri brings out a rap about bread and I'll buy that album or that single. Uh, wow, I feel really old now. But let's bring it back to some more serious stuff as well because uh, um, I don't know about Hibs fans, what, what they might feel about this, but um, it's going to be a big loss when when Ryan Portis isn't around next season. Obviously, they've gonna, they're going to have him until the end of this campaign. But he has refused a contract extension um, at Easter Road. And look, I think one thing's for sure, as much as he divides uh, a lot of people in the SPFL, he's certainly a quality centre-half who who did the business for Scotland when he was called into action at short notice. And a lot of people threw a lot of you know uncertainties around him, but he was excellent for, for Scotland. And I have no doubt there'll be a... a There'll be, not be a shortage of suitors, guys. I, I think it's exactly the right time for Ryan Porteous to move on to the next level of his career. I think there's absolutely no doubt in his abilities as a central defender. I, I think it's, I mean, it's a double-edged sword because it's a shame for Hibs to to lose not just a talented player, but to not get any money in for him because I think he could have commanded quite a significant fee if he had signed a new deal. But at the same time, I'm always really excited at the possibility of good Scottish talent pushing itself to the highest possible level and I feel like Ryan Porteous is maybe in a place where Scott McKenna was at Aberdeen a few seasons ago where you felt like Scott McKenna needed a change of scenery and a a change of level in order to progress because I think he'd stagnated for quite a while at Aberdeen just because you know you're playing the same team like five six times every season I, I just don't know how you develop that that much more quickly at that level he's gone down proved himself in the championship with Nottingham Forest and now he's you know holding his own in the Premier League and I think should be much more of the conversation for for a starting place in, in the Scotland national team but I think Ryan Porteous could be the same I could see him absolutely playing at, if not an English championship level uh, at an English Premier League level or even potentially going abroad you know to maybe like one of his former teammates to Serie A I do remember us having loads of these conversations, Finn, um, especially around, it was like Kieran Tierney. It's the whole debate of he could have played his entire career at Celtic and probably been quite happy, but it's that ambition to get out and really push himself on. And, okay, I, Scott McKenna, I can see your point. I think that's maybe a wee bit doing Portis a disservice in a way because it's almost saying, well, he's not that good, but he could go on and prove himself in a different league and push on up, like Scott McKenna's done. He's not the greatest player, come on, let's let's face it. But someone like Kieran Tierney, I think he's really pushed on to a whole new level for both himself domestically and internationally. And that's someone I think he should be looking at. Because the thing is, you can look at the flip side of that. 
look at someone like James Forrest, who has been the one club man of Scottish football over the last decade. And he's not really pushed himself on. He's kind of stagnated and his his international career stumbled around a bit. And you don't, if you're going to look at different players, you want to be a Tierney. You don't want to be a Forrest. I don't think you, you could say he stagnated. I think that's think a bit unfair on James Forrest. I feel well, like he's, no, but he's that's, not that's natural. But that's natural because he's just older. He's had, he's his, he's had his golden period. No, I know he's Has not he old. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, I, I don't. I think it's unfair to say that he's he should have moved on. He's, he's ended up 31. winning. Yeah, he's he's ended up. He's winning. He's won countless amounts of medals, oh. honors, accolades. Been player of the season. He's he's had a fantastic career. I, Just I because he hasn't left that. Celtic doesn't mean that he's. It's a bad thing that he stayed at no, Celtic. No, I, I get that. And that is where the argument comes down to. Do you is it really pushing yourself on if you leave the club? And, and is it that's kind of what the Kieran Tierney debate was at the time when he wanted to leave and, and push on at that age. Look, James Forrest had a, an absolute glistening career. He's done fantastic, but I don't think he's pushed himself onto a limit and a level that he could have reached. I feel like at 31, he should be even better than he is right now. And he's kind of dropped down in recent years instead of going up. I don't know. I I think being a player to stay at one of the top two teams in Scotland isn't really a, a, a negative, to be fair. I mean, Scott Brown did that for Celtic for over, over 10, 11 years and had no interest in moving down south. And his reasoning was because he's at the Scottish champions. Why would he move down south? It's... it's some people will look at it differently. I know what you're saying, but I think James Forrest made his decision and injuries probably could have played played a hand in that as well. And Stevie May! Bedlam! Chaos! Euphoria in the away stand! Blue limbs everywhere! The magic of the cup has well and truly sparked the imagination for some already and all awaited the draw for the fourth round of the cup, especially because that's when the big guns of Scottish football come into play. It certainly went the appetite of many sides lower down the leagues and to help us dissect and review the cup so far, we have journalist from Football Scotland, Ewan Booth-Robertson. How you doing, pal? You OK? I'm good. I'd know where I'd rather be here, coaching midnight on a Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, mate. That's it. We pull the big guns out. Out. That's the magic of the cup. Exactly. You, you must be pretty knackered after the draw. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a, a busy day, but I mean, I think it was a fantastic draw. I don't know what you guys make of it, but I thought there were some really good ties. Yeah, really interesting, man. But I, all I really, really am interested in talking about from Chapel United, mate. I, I just think their story is phenomenal. I mean, it's a remarkable story. I, I felt a little bit sorry for them uh, with the draw, to be honest. I mean, their trip to Elgin's not the most glamorous of <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> also a really long trip as well um, so you'd want all their fans to kind of um, get behind them and be able to, to go to it but I mean, I mean they can of course but you imagine they got Rangers or Celtic or Hearts or Hibs you know it would be unbelievable but this is a winnable game for them is it not so if they get past this round and then oh, come on this could be the Kilnocky of 2022 <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> like people are getting all excited about Darville and they're like oh Darville but they're playing Aberdeen they're going to go out Whereas Drumchapel have got actual chance of this Hollywood Dream Cup run. I'm all for this. This is a this is a good draw, I think. I mean, I suppose you look at it that way. It is good. I was just thinking purely kind of the stories and the kind of financial aspect. But I mean, I suppose you know Elgin City are um, League Two, aren't they? So 
they, they beat a team in League One who, who are doing pretty yeah. well in League One in Edinburgh City. So I, I keep calling them Edinburgh City. Do you know what? I'm just going to keep calling them Edinburgh City. <laughs> <laughs> it's like folks in the SPL. It's never going to change. I'm no. quite good with the Scottish Premiership in the SPFL, but I mean, just FC Edinburgh, that's, I digress. I think they can, make, they can get a result. You know, they'll, they'll go there confident. They've got some good experienced pros in, in the squad. Obviously, you know, the big name is obviously David Templeton. It's mad, isn't it? David Templeton. They pulled him out of retirement. They can't uh, <laughs> play next season's competitions, which is very Scottish football. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable, isn't it? What's the reason for that? It's really, really complicated, Laura. But in a nutshell, they kind of qualified through a really truncated system. Them. but because they're not technically a professional side even though they're still playing um senior football because they've kept, they moved up from am- the amateurs basically they a lot of their club doesn't fit the SFA protocols it's a little bit confusing and really unfair maybe there should be a change that if you get to a certain stage in the cup you automatically qualify for the following season but maybe I'm just being too generous it's also I mean d- does this kind of harken to the whole thing around Scottish football being so draconian with things like that because it's been really interesting over the last oh I'd say you know like the last decade or so that you have seen these really ambitious clubs from outside the league system that have now had a pathway to get in so you look at Cove Rangers you look at Kelty Hearts and and teams like that that are making their way up they're ambitious they want to do well but you're actually seeing that gap even narrow in in the tiers below that so you know Drumchapel were amateur two years ago and now they've earned themselves £20,000 for getting to this round. Surely there should be a review of those kind of things to allow these teams that can grow exponentially really quickly to have that pathway to reach their full potential. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot between a lot of clubs in, in the lower league and, and some clubs in the west of Scotland in, in League 2, to be honest, and even teams at the bottom half of League 1. You know, there's not a huge... A huge difference there, um, and you know, ambitious clubs should have a pathway and should be rewarded. And it's good to see that. I think, as we all know, there's not a huge amount of money in Scottish football at any level. Mm-hmm. Um, never mind at the bottom of the game. So, you know, if, if, if good players want to pursue a career outside of football and then play part time in the side, it, it makes sense, not just short term, but especially long term. Because you know it's you're not going to play League Two, League One football and be able to retire after it. You mentioned earlier, you and Darvell is is a great story as well. Currently leaders of the West of Scotland Premier League, they beat Montrose. Well, they stuffed, mauled Montrose five two, and uh, they've got a really tasty one bringing Aberdeen to Recreation Park. It's going to be quite interesting there because Darvell have got a bit of money behind them as well, haven't they? Yeah, and I, sometimes I think they're a little bit unfairly kind of labelled with that tag. You, you know, it's it's true. And I'm not saying you're doing it, but I said a lot of people kind of go, ah, well, you know, that's Darvel just buying success again. I mean, there's obviously an element of truth in terms of, you know, they've brought players in like McShane and they've got good players. Got Jamie Glasgow, I think, recently from Auchinleck. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, they still need to go out on, on the pitch and, and, and put the performances in. And, and to go and beat Mintros 5-2 is a, is a cracking result. Um, and that's to me like that's that's what you want, isn't it? For Darvel, you're getting Aberdeen coming to your round. Just it's just a wild, it's just wild. I, I, I love these sort of games. <laughs> Lynn Lithgow Rose as well. That, another interesting one. They're the leaders on the other side, the east of Scotland Premier League. They've got Wraith Rovers. It's just so good. The cup, Scottish Cup football, especially when the World Cup's going. I think it's quite a good contrast, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got football at that scale going on, and then here, you know, the Scottish Cup's still here, and it's it's just very pure. Mm-hmm. Just going back to the the game at the weekend it was played in um, John Trappen United was played at Mary Hill Juniors 
because obviously they, they can't play at their ground. I mean, the pitch was terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like it was, a, it was proper, like just mud everywhere. And um, there wasn't much grass on the park, especially at the sides. So I just love that. I think it's great. A uh, special mention to Stirling University too, who beat Albion Rovers. I'm a graduate from Stirling University, so I've been doing my time there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chris Geddes is doing an incredible job, and it pains me to say this as my former coach. Um, it, it really does. But no, in all seriousness, <laughs> he's been unbelievable. Um, even in the Lowland League, they're right up at the top of the top of the, the table. So you know, it's incredible. The the big one is is there for all to see you in Hearts v Hibs. Or Hibs v Hearts, I should say. I don't think it's a draw that either team will want, to be honest, like, that early in the competition. I mean, if you can win it, it's fantastic. You've got bragging rights and you've knocked your, your rivals out of the competition. But if you lose that game, you know, at the start of January, I think it's the 21st, 22nd the weekend that we played, that's an absolute killer. No, I can actually <laughs> vouch for that. I remember there was a year Muddle played Ross County and it was that sort of third week in January and they lost and it it does it kills you it kills your whole momentum because you've taken the winter break and you're coming back you're all fired up and it just throws you and I'm looking at like Hamilton Ross County that is rife for a <laughs> nil-nil on a Baltic day in January at New Douglas Park <laughs> well Laura I've got good news for you because there's no replays <sighs> glorious days isn't it but my only issue is with the because the old member clubs pretty much voted no replays because it's just a massively congested schedule. Yeah, really quite difficult to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, it's still going to be extra time and penalties. I don't know if you guys are with me, but I am done with extra time. I think it's an utterly pointless thing to 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 go, to go on with and. Why not just go straight to penalties? Yeah, but try saying that to Dundee fans, though, after this weekend. <laughs> they, sc- they scored four times in, in, in extra time, so... Yeah, that's fair. Although, to be fair, in, in my own experience, um, just bef- a few weeks ago, just before the World Cup started, uh, I was working the English League Cup, the West Ham-Blackburn game, and I didn't realise that it didn't go to extra time. So 90 minutes, I'm like, oh, another half hour of this. <laughs> and then it was suddenly it was like, oh, wait, Penalties, fantastic. And of course, we were treated to 21 penalties. Okay, didn't go West Ham's way, but the drama from going from 90 minutes to 21 penalties, I'm all for that. It's that, it's that wonderful thing of like being able to work in, in, a, in football and it being like the best job in the world and all that stuff. There's not a single person that I know who works in football that really like, yeah, it's extra time. What a story. Normal time. Because the thing is, we don't leave the ground at full time. We've got like three hours work after. <laughs> so yeah, you're like, thank God for that. I'd have to finish at 2am now. I suppose the only negative against no replays is the fact if a smaller club did get a draw. You know, imagine Darville drew at Aberdeen and then, you know, they're missing out on the chance to go to Pataudry. And the income of that, and even just the experience, um, that's the only downside. I'm not a big fan of replays, but that is the only kind of slight positive to it. But I agree on extra time. I'm, I'm not a fan of extra time. Um, what you also find is a lot of teams just sit, just sit in an extra time. You don't want Aye. to give it away. It turns into quite a boring game. Let's just bring back silver goal. <laughs> Love it. The dogs bark. And the caravan passes. The caravan keeps moving. The caravan keeps going. The wait for Rangers fans is over with Michael Beale being named the 18th manager of Rangers. 
It's the worst kept secret in Govan, but he leaves Queen's Park Rangers seventh in the English Championship after telling the West London side that he would stay loyal to them after an approach from Premier League Wolves. So let's hear a fan's perspective on this appointment. We're joined now by Rangers fan Martin Howden. And Martin, the first question for me really is, does this appease the majority of Rangers fans or do you have any concern with this appointment? I definitely can't speak for the uh, the majority of Rangers fans. Um, but for me, I think I'm, I'm positive about it. I think um, four weeks is a, a long time in football. And when he was looked like he was heading to, to Wolves, all the talk was, you know, it's one that got away. And now everyone seems to be a bit underwhelmed by it. But I... I just think he's the right man, what Rangers need right now. Um, just that kind of bit of stability. The last two seasons, so we win the league and then the following season we win the Europa final. And now we're just looking for someone to like stop the bleeding and hopefully take us to the summer. We're not going to win the league. I just I don't think that's, we just kind of need a bit of stability. I guess when it comes to Celtic managers, Rangers managers, you kind of get, there's, there's sort of different categories you can either be your experienced manager you can be the, the, the club legends manager or you can be the rookie manager whereabouts does Michael Beale fit into that is he a safe option I think he's safe for just for what we need right now which is I always think that Rangers are our best is like when we're you know um, in Karate Kid with the Cobra Kai dojo Rangers just need to be them right where they're just the kind of really angry Bad guys, the Pedro years when we were getting bullied by Motherwell and we were crying about players getting injured. And it just feels like this is what the first proper season of Geo has been like, where we just lose that aggression. We're rolled over. And I think Beal will just sort of sort that out a little bit. He'll make us harder to be a bit more aggressive. Not aggressive like physically, but just the way we play will be aggressive. And I think that's that's what we need just now. For for me, looking at it purely from a statistical point of view and looking at the background of Beale, there's no doubt that he's a fantastic coach and he's been kind of hailed as one of the reasons of Steven Gerrard's success, not just at Rangers, but also at Aston Villa. And then, then he's went to Queen's Park Rangers where, let's face it, his managerial career is, is relatively short. Does that worry you in a sense or is it just because of the way that he played while he was at Rangers that gives you some solace. I mean, I'm not I'm not worried now because I'm just the league is the league's over and it's almost quite nice not to worry and kind of the stress of like will we win the league. I mean I'm not he's not gonna wave a magic wand. I like I know that the stats of kind of how many trophies he won under Jared keeps getting thrown at us. But it's one of those things I just I just don't buy. Like I could see it with my own eyes how much we improved under Beale and Jared's time year on year. Obviously the last year after 55 you could see there was a bit of um, staleness coming in but you can say that and that's why I didn't buy the whole geo thing about we need to give him time like Gerard they were working two completely different way and we were aggressing under under geo like I said I'm not going to sit there and say we're going to win the league or that he's the perfect manager I just really think he will just take that team he knows the players and I'm yeah I, I'm, I'm optimistic with him. yeah I guess this is one for Finn as well can I open it up to both of you but Am I right in saying that Bill was sort of credited almost as kind of like the brains behind the operation with Steven Gerrard? And in that case, what what are you kind of expecting from him? Like, what's his football going to be like? Do you think it's going to be very similar to the time when Gerrard was in charge? It's hard to kind of answer that if he's the, the, the brains behind it all, because it always just kind of, 
it depends where you have the argument. When when Rangers win, it's like the, oh yeah, it's all because of Beal, and it's not it's because of Gerard's um, part of it. I mean, that's the big thing. Like Gerard was a great Hallers, like uh, you know, manager. He's very charismatic. He's a leader. He inspires people. And then when you've got someone like Michael Beal, who's a, clearly a very good coach. And they just seem to work well together. I mean, a lot of the Rangers players talk about how well Beal coached them. And so you hope that's enough. But at the same time, I'm not naive to think that clubs like Rangers and Celtic do seem to thrive when their manager's a big personality. There's a cult of personality that just seems to work well in Scottish football, certainly domestically, maybe not so much in Europe. And whether Beal will have that, I don't know. I think that was one thing I wanted to ask you a little bit more about, Martin, because... I think in terms of coaching ability, and he has the track record there because he was part of Jared's coaching staff, he's definitely got the credentials. I think a style of play, Rangers can't play much worse, so there'll, there'll probably be an improvement on that side. But it was really about the, the personality and the temperament thing to ask if you think he's got that because you look at other managers that have failed as a a head coach as a manager of Rangers or Celtic and all the ones that have been successful kind of need to have a certain level of gravitas stubbornness I think and almost cockiness or overconfidence in their own ability to cope with it do you think Michael Beale has that or if he doesn't do you think it's something that he can grow into I think there's an arrogance to Michael Beale which is why I think he, he might be a success and I think he definitely believes in himself and the way he talks. So that's great. I mean, when you do look at number twos who go, go you, you do sort of feel like, like there are just some people who are better at being a number two. They kind of like the closest they have with players um, and that's kind of what um, what works. And I, I, I think Beal has definitely has ambitions being a manager, totally believes in himself. And I think there, there's an arrogance. And there's also like, let's not forget the... Um, the Rangers Celtic game where he was screaming at Clancy and, and you know, he definitely showed passion and, and anger. We, we just don't know. He had a good start at uh, QPR, but after the whole Wolves rejection from his side and the carry-on with him saying to QPR fans that I'm building something here, there's a journey to be had, I've got a duty of care and respect to players that I've had to convince to come to this club and he kind of turns his back on not just the fans, possibly some of the players. I don't know if some of them might come up with him. I don't know if they're good enough to play for Rangers. But that's the the little bit that, that concerns me is he was always, I think, in his eyes, I think he was always going to come back to Rangers. It's interesting because um, Joshua Barry, who we had on the podcast a number of weeks ago from the Rangers Review, he'd interviewed Michael Beale in the summer when he'd gone down to, uh, at that point, he was he was start taking the job at QPR. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned the fact that he wanted to be Rangers manager one day or he would love to come back as Rangers manager one day. And I think the phrase he used was, you can't turn a club like Rangers down. Mm. And I think it was pretty evident, even the way after, there was a lot of, you know, ire and animosity when Gerard and the team left to go to Aston Villa. But Michael Beale, I think it was it was very evident that he he genuinely loved I I think and thrived on that atmosphere of being at a club like Rangers. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's that thing where, you know, looking at, at the, the Wolves job when it came up, I think it is two different things. Yeah. I, I I can see absolutely why as a neutral you can look at it and be like 
oh, but he just said, you know, a month ago that he wouldn't he wouldn't leave because he wants to be part of the project at QPR. But it's like, but things change, you know, things, and they can change very quickly in football. And I think if it had been almost any other club, I mean, obviously, if it was a high-end Premier League club or something like that, he probably would have gone. Yeah. But I think th- there were only a handful of clubs that Michael Beale would have left QPR for. And it just so happened that one of them asked them to be their manager. So I, I, I think that's that's where it is. Because he's coming back to Ibrox, it's a place that he knows the setup. Like he, he was the setup. Yeah. So it's not as if he's coming into a place brand new that's a level up again. It is a level higher than QPR, obviously, but he is coming back into a familiar workplace. He's coming to a city that he knows with a squad mostly that he knows and he helped build and he knows how to coach. So it's, it is, a I think, a different thing you can't really conflate the Wolves' opportunity coming up with the Rangers' opportunity because they're two entirely different beasts for him to consider. And I think that's the the point you made about him just knowing this squad because it is fairly similar to the one that him and Steven Gerrard built. That's why it's easier for him to take this job. I think that's what you're kind of alluding to. But it's also going to be harder as well because people will expect to get the same results. And it's just not going to be the case. And when people start picking the bones out of his his career so far as a manager, because uh, we've said it before, there's no doubting he's a very good coach. I feel like he's becoming the new Steve Clark for me. <laughs> Michael Beale, he's a very good coach. <laughs> but um, just this idea that he's still coming into a club in the middle of a season and he's still coming into a club that is kind of feeling down and out, even though they're second in the league, even though they've still got a chance of winning some cups. Do you know what I mean? Like there is still going to be that expectation of Rangers fans looking at Michael Beale and saying, well, if he built that team, that team's still there. Why can't he do it again? How long is he going to be given by the Rangers board? Because Steven Gerrard had three years not winning a trophy longer than any Rangers manager. Gio Van Bronckhurst, who took Rangers to the Europa League final, did not get that sort of leeway. How much leeway is Michael Beale going to get if over these next couple of games? I mean, you look at the next, his first game on the 15th of December is against Hibs, followed by Aberdeen, Ross County, Motherwell. If he doesn't pick up full points and then he gets an absolute mauling at Celtic, you'd be turning around to the board and going, why are you hiring a rookie manager? As Martin was saying, I think... Rangers fans, if they're being realistic, don't expect to win the league this year. I know we have to do the all the cliches, you can't win the league in November and everything, but but realistically, the form Celtic have been in and the form Rangers have been in, even if Michael Beale can get a tune out of this Rangers team and they can find that level of consistency that's eluded them for quite some time, probably about 18 months, because this goes back before Gerrard even left, I still can't see Rangers essentially going unbeaten to the end of the season and Celtic dropping points in five or six matches. I just, I, I can't really see that happening. So I think Rangers fans, whilst obviously they, they're desperate to to win the league title back, they're realistic, I think as well, on the most part. And I think it's more about seeing a tangible improvement between now and the end of the season, as well as competing in the two cup competitions that are still left. I think he will get time from the support and obviously from the board who took their time with Van Bronckhorst as well. I think the key thing for me is investment in the playing squad because it really needs turned around. I mean, Rangers are kind of at the point now that 
the club had said they would never get to again because they were talking about this continual rotation and improving the squad. And they haven't really done that. So they're faced with the possibility of losing Morelos and Kent for free in the summer. Mm-hmm. A, lo- a lot of players, older players that have been great servants for the club, but they're not getting any younger. McGregor, Arfield, I think even Ryan Jack will probably leave in the summer. So you're talking about a big squad overhaul. And I think that has to happen in January and he has to be backed. Otherwise you could get Pep Guardiola in. But if he's not getting backed in the transfer market, nothing much is going to change on the pitch. That's all we have time for this week. We'll be back next Tuesday. But first of all, my thanks to Ewan, my thanks to Martin, my thanks to Laura, my thanks to Finlay. And that is all of my thanks. Now, go away, listen to something else. Bye. Bye.